we're getting closer to the end of the book of Romans. I've had a couple people ask me where we're going when we're done with the book of Romans. And uh, Romans has still like been such a good friend to me. I haven't concluded yet where we're going to go. So I've got a couple things in my head uh, where I think the Lord may have us go, but I'm not quite sure yet. Maybe that's a sign that the Lord's coming back when we're done here. I don't know. I'm just joking. But Romans chapter 15, verse 30 to 33, as we talked about last week, really is almost like the whole book of Romans coming together into an apex as Paul appeals to his brethren there in the church of Rome, many of whom he'd never met, many whom he had met. And so as we go into chapter 16 and we go from verses 1 to 16, he's going to be mentioning all these different people that are in this church that he is greeting in the letter. And so what we actually read in these verses really becomes very introductory to the next section in chapter 16. But he is appealing to the church to pray for him so that as he goes to Jerusalem... He is delivered from the unbelievers who were there who would destroy him so that the service that he brings to them will be acceptable. And then thirdly, as we will see here this morning, so that in the will of God he can come to them and be refreshed by the church of Rome. But as we talked last week, since the Apostle Paul really believed what he was writing the Apostle Paul was willing to take any risk to go to any difficulty in order to share the gospel. That Jesus was worth everything. And so as we're looking at this, I, I want you to notice as we get an overview of this paragraph, Paul is appealing to his brethren in verse and he says he is doing so by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. And then he is appealing to this is the content of what he is asking them. He is appealing to them to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And then he gives us these three things that he asks them to pray for. One, that I may be delivered or rescued from the unbelievers who are in Judea. He knows when he goes there, not everybody's going to be jumping up and down for joy like, wow, Paul is here. No, there are people there that want to see him dead. And he's asking, church, pray for me that I will be rescued. Number two, he says, pray that the service that I bring, this offering, this contribution that we've already talked about earlier in the chapter that he is gathering up in Achaia and Macedonia, he says, pray that this service, this ministry for the church at Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints. Have you ever given somebody a gift that you thought this would be wonderful for me to give it to them, and yet then when you're going to take it there and you're actually going to give it, and they're like going to open it, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I really hope they like this. 
I hope this is acceptable to them. I hope this is what they like or what they wanted. And Paul is almost feeling that same nervousness. He has gotten a gift together for the church in Jerusalem. And it's a gift of money. And anybody likes money. You can always put money in a card or you can put a gift card in a card. And people like that. But then you're still like, oh, is it enough? Do I look like I'm a cheapskate? (laughs) And so Paul's nervous. He says, pray that this ministry that I bring will be acceptable to the saints. And then verse 32, this is the one we want to study more in depth this week that we did not talk about last week. So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and that I will be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We will not talk about that last statement today because we will do it later in the book of Romans in chapter 16 when it says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He is a God of peace, but he is a God who makes war in order to bring peace. And he will crush Satan under your feet. We'll talk about the God of peace and what that means when we get to that verse. But today, let's think about being refreshed. When I say refresh, when I use the word refresh, what do you think of? Maybe you think of the refresh button on your computer. I don't. That's the last thing I think about. In fact, I had to, like, Google it. I was like, so what does that even do? You know, they say, you know, do you refresh your your browser? Well, I don't know. It's just better do it itself because I'm not going to ever do it. But the refresh button on your computer, you know, maybe if that's your generation and now you're into that stuff, when we use the word refresh, you think of that. Maybe you think of a glass of cool water on a hot day. That's refreshing, isn't it? It's been a hot summer, and it's been dry. Sometimes you're out in that sun, and it's beating down on your head, and you're just depleted. And you take a drink of cool water, and it's like charging your batteries. Maybe you think of a nice shower after a hard day at work. Maybe you think of a relaxing bath. Maybe you think about a day in the mountains. That's refreshing, isn't it? Take a drive up to Yellowstone or you go out and you see the beauty that God has made and you feel refreshed. A day in the mountains. Maybe you think of your cup of morning joe. That is refreshing. Here's where we're going to go. Let's do a quick review. Paul has appealed to the church. He has asked them, please strive together in your prayers to God on my behalf. That is his appeal. We talked about the solemn nature of this appeal because he invokes a specific aspect of the Trinity by the Lord Jesus Christ. Since he is Lord, he can do whatever he wants. Whenever he wants it, he can surely answer our prayer. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them of that, and then he reminds them of the love of the Spirit. The content of the prayer, he says, pray that I will be delivered. 
that I will bring an acceptable service and that I will come to you with joy in God's will. We talked about the word soon agonizomai. That is the word to strive together. And we talked about this concept that that word highlights two things for us. Number one, it highlights that prayer is a conflict. It is an agonizomai. That is the root. The word agonizomai, you can hear the word agony in the noun form in the Greek language. It just speaks of a conflict. And we talked about the reality that sometimes when we pray, there's tremendous communion with the Lord. There's a wonderful sense of his presence. And there is worship. But prayer itself is also a place of conflict. And so it highlights that when we think of this word. He says, strive. Do you strive in your prayers? Or do you just sleep? Do you strive? Strive together. The word together comes from the prefix soon, and it is just pointing out this reality. Powerful prayer is a joint effort, not just something you do in your closet. When the church prays together, when two or three gather in my name, I am in their midst. And so we are to pray corporately, and that there is a power that is available to the church and for the work of the Lord when we pray together. We talked about that last week. We talked about prayer as communion. We talked about prayer as conflict. We talked about the war room. We talked about wrestling with God. When we pray, we truly are wrestling in the spiritual realities. We are wrestling against spiritual darkness. We are wrestling against our own flesh and our desires. And we are wrestling like Jacob with God. We talked about the content of the prayer. Number one, that God would bind the opposition, and that he would bless the distribution. And so that is what Paul is asking them to pray from, that he would be delivered from unbelieving Jews, he would bring acceptable service. In the content of the prayer, the Apostle Paul then says, please pray that when I arrive in Rome, I will do so in the will of God, and that I will come to you, and we will come together with joy, and that we together will be refreshed. We're not going to talk much about this one. We talk about the will of God. We've talked about the will of God in other contexts. This is the one I want to focus on this morning. This phrase just kind of really jumped out at me as I studied it. Two weeks ago, when I was preparing my first message on this paragraph, I thought I was going to preach it in one week. That was my intention. And man, the deeper I went into this phrase and the more I thought about it, the more I knew I wanted to bring a whole sermon to you on this concept. It made me ask some questions of me. And I hope you ask the same questions of yourself. In the book of James, it tells us that God's word is like a mirror. We look in it, and we see all our warts and our pimples. I want us to think about the link between joy and being refreshed. It is hard to be refreshed when you are either grieved or burdened. Correct? 
There's a link in this text. He says, so that with joy we will be together refreshed. I want to think about that link this morning. More importantly, here's my questions. Am I the kind of person that relates with people in a way that they experience joy and go away refreshed? How about you? Ask yourself that question. Do people dread interacting with you? Or do they delight in it? Am I the kind of person that relates with people in a way that they experience joy and are thus refreshed? Now, I'm going to submit to you, there's not for anybody... Can there be every relationship falling into that category? And not every day in your life falls into that category. Right, kids? Some days uh, you need that whooping you just got. And it wasn't too much joy. Right? Sometimes we have to deal with issues that aren't necessarily joyful. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians because he has to go to the church of Corinth and he says, I'm sending Titus first because he's going to be the front guy and he's going to come in, he's going to straighten up this mess and he's going to get things in order so that when I show up, I don't have to chew on you. So that when I show up, it's going to be a time of joy. But he then says to him, if you don't get it right when I show up, you're not going to be happy. Right? You're not going to be happy. So the Apostle Paul understood that not every interaction that we have with others is like a happy, clappy moment. No, that's not real life. Some days we just had Jonah days. Right? You just get up and you got up on the wrong side of the bed and it's just a bad day. And, you know, you just warn people around you, watch out, I'm spitting tacks. Right? It's just not a good day. We understand that. Right? That's life. But by and large, am I the kind of person that when people see me coming in the grocery store, they duck and go down the other aisle? (laughs) Or am I the kind of person that they want to see? That they want to talk to? Because they know that when they see me, they're going to be refreshed. I went to Laramie this week for a pastor's gathering with the Wyoming Pastors Network. Frankly, there's a couple guys there. They sit at their table and I sat at mine. We just, I mean, they just don't, they don't refresh me. There's a couple other guys. We sat up in the lobby of the motel and we chatted into the kind of wee hours of the night talking about things of the Lord. And I went to bed tired, but refreshed. What's the difference? Or, am I the kind of person that burdens people, that grieves them, so that they are drained by interacting with me? What's the difference? Have you ever talked to some people, and you go away from that meeting with that individual, and you just feel utterly depleted and drained? And then there are other people 
that you talk to and you spend time with and you go away from that and you are refreshed. What's the difference? What happened there? How about as a church? When our missionaries think about coming to see us, are they living in dread of it? Or are they energized by it? I want you to understand something. Being a missionary and going on deputation or reporting back to churches is not an easy thing. They're sleeping in different beds, going to different churches that have radically different expectations, and they're wondering, am I dressing right? Am I doing this right? Did I say that right? It's a nerve-wracking time for, minute, for missionaries. And I'll tell you this, I am very blessed that our missionaries who come here love to come here. And they love to see you. And they love to interact with you. And they feel that the pressure is off, the pressure just to perform. But I think it's something we have to ask ourselves. I want us to realize that when missionaries or special speakers come to us, they are not just coming to minister to us. They are coming, let's think about it specifically this way, so that we have an opportunity to minister to them. They come to teach the Word of God. They come to share with us. They come to teach us. They come to present ministries and what's going on in the world. But when they come to us, let's look at it like this. They are coming to us with a hope that they will come and will enjoy be refreshed by us. We have a responsibility to them as well as they to us. That's the way Paul thinks about it. I don't know about you. I want to fill people's cup. I don't want to drain their tub. I want to fill people's cup. How does this happen? How can I be a blessing and not a curse? Well, all of us grow weary at times, right? We all have those days. The Bible talks a lot about weariness. From the moment that Paul pens these words until they are fulfilled, when he actually gets there, we'll end our sermon with that in Acts 28, there is a period of time of three years. Paul is sitting and he is writing these words. He is writing this prayer. It is fulfilled when he shows up in Rome in Acts 28 as a prisoner. And there's three years. That's quite a period of time. In that three years, we already talked about it. Paul went to Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple, and a mob descends on him and beats the tar out of him. They are trying to tear his garments off him, and they're trying to kill him. The Roman cohort, watching from the Antonio Fortress, comes down and delivers him in answer to their prayer. He is taken into the fortress, and as was the common practice, they figure, well, the guy's never going to tell us the truth anyway, so let's just beat him. And they tie him to a stake to flog him. Uh, not a pretty picture. 
He is about to get a flogging. Paul says, is it lawful for you to flog a citizen of Rome? He asks him a question. The centurion looks at him and says, are you truly a citizen? If he's lying, it is the death penalty. Nobody would lie about that one. He says, yes, I am. I was born free. I was born a citizen. Then there's this whole series of events where he doesn't get the flogging. They deliver him from that. But he explains what's going on. He speaks to the crowd. He witnesses several different times in court, and he appeals to Caesar. He's taken down to the Mediterranean coast, and he gets on a boat. It's not the cruise ship you went to Mexico on, okay? It's a little wooden thing that kind of hugs the coast because they didn't even make a beeline across the ocean because it was very dangerous. And in the journey, they are shipwrecked. They make it to shore. They're three months on Malta. Eventually, they grab another boat, and they get to Rome. I bet he's tired. That's a lot of stuff to happen in three years. Besides, all of his missionary journeys, all of the other times he was shipwrecked, all the other times he was beaten, the time he was stoned, all the aches and pains he's got from all of those events and everything that has happened in his ministry and all the care of all the churches. I imagine he's a tired guy. You think you get weary? I think Paul knows what weariness is all about. All of us grow weary at times. In Job chapter 10, verse 1, Job says of his complaint to the Lord, my soul is weary of my life. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah cries out to the Lord. He says, my soul is weary. He is looking at the people of Israel and he is looking at all the sin in the land. He is looking at the murder. He's looking at all the lies. He's looking at all the idolatry. He's looking at all the adultery. All the wickedness that has come into the land. And he says of it, my soul is weary. Do you ever get weary with the sin of America? I do. It's a weariness. It can deplete us. It can drain our spiritual passion. And we're just like, what's the use? My soul is weary. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, lest, unless, we grow weary. What happens when we grow weary? We faint in our minds. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, don't grow weary in doing what is right. Sometimes we grow weary because of the strain of life and stress. Sometimes we grow weary because of the demands of a hard work environment. I know when you come to church, you have put in a long week. Many of you. Many of you used to put in long weeks and now you play pickleball. I'm just joking. Okay. 
I was just trying to be the good guy. Thank you, Rick. No, I'm just joking. But hard work. Oh, that wears you out, doesn't it? Can wear you out. The demands of caring for loved ones. Many of you have questions you're asking, issues you're facing. Loved ones that you care for very much who have physical needs or spiritual needs. Children that you are rearing. Oh, I'll talk to some of the moms in here, right? You get up all hours of the night, and then you've got to function in the day. The demands of caring for our loved ones, the list goes on and on and on and on. There are many things that happen in our life that just tax us, and we grow weary. How do you replenish yourself when you're weary? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but I'm also asking you, how do you do it? Aromatherapy. I don't know. How do you replenish yourself? How do you get back your strength? When your batteries are depleted, where do you turn? How do you refresh others? And this is more important because that's what we're talking about in this text. Not only when you're tired, when you're done in, when you're weary, how do you find replenishment of your strength? But how can you refresh others? When you know they are tired, when you know they are weary, do you come to their aid? Do you encourage them? Do you comfort them? Or do you just brush it off? What does it mean to refresh? Let's just think about the word for a minute. Basically, it just means to restore by rest. To restore. So when we think about refresh, It's kind of like this, isn't it? To return to a state of freshness. To return to a state of freshness, to refresh it. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's interesting that it is linked in Scripture with God's purpose for the Sabbath. Tells us that specifically in multitudes of places in the Old Testament that God gave them a Sabbath not to make their life miserable. He gave them a Sabbath in order to what? Rest and be refreshed. And he uses that word specifically. So that in being rested, you are then refreshed for what's to come in the week ahead. That was the purposes of the Sabbath. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples. They've been very busy in the region of Galilee and Judea, even down into Samaria. People are coming to them. They are being healed. There are demands upon demands upon demands, and I know Jesus is weary. Jesus in his humanity. And he says to his disciples, come aside and refresh yourselves. It is not selfishness to take time to be refreshed. If you destroy your health and you fritter away your energy by never-ending work and service, you do nobody any good. Robert Murray McChain died a very young death. 
was a great preacher. He labored incessantly. On his deathbed, he lamented to a good friend. He said, alas, I have killed the horse, and I cannot deliver my message. Alas, I've killed the horse, his body. He had wore it to a frazzle, and now I cannot deliver my message. It is not selfishness to take care of yourself. Now, I would say that there's always a balance, as there is in everything. To dote on yourself, you know, to just, in a dainty way, care for yourself and to not... Teach yourself self-discipline and resilience. Eh, we're not talking about that. But to burn oneself out, even in a good cause, doesn't honor the Lord. Come aside and refresh yourself. And he led them out into a place of quiet. Notice this one. This is an interesting one. Old Bach said it. How many of you like Bach? The chief end of all music is the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. That's a powerful statement. I think some rappers in America should read that one. (laughs) Because I think a lot of people in the music industry today look at music as the degradation of the soul. The chief purpose of music is to degrade our culture. It's to teach kids all about wickedness and rampant immorality and nastiness and how to hate your mama. Bach, the chief end of all music is the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. When you're tired, put on some good music. Good music that feeds your soul and replenishes your spirit. Here's the kind of person that drains others. I spent a bunch of time this week in the book of Proverbs. There are people in the book of Proverbs that we are introduced to that drain people. Mr. Whisperer. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And they leave a bitter feeling. Mr. Whisperer, he drains. He comes into the room and he gossips. He talks about other people. And at first it appeals to us because we're all sinners and we like to hear the juicy stuff. But the more we hear it, the more we realize how nasty and yucky it is. Because if that person's talking about me that way, I bet they talk about, or they talking about you that way. I bet when they're with you, they talk about me that way. It's nasty. It drains. It demoralizes. Mr. Whisperer eh, is not a good man. Don't spend time with him. Mr. or excuse me, Mrs contentious, right? A contentious wife is like a what? 
Oh, no, yeah. no amens on this one. A contentious wife is like a what? A leaky roof. It's like a leaky roof. It just, just drips and it drives you nuts. It's like, oh, i got to get up there and fix that. But I don't know how to fix that. A contentious wife. Contention. Drains. Ladies, I'll crawl in your lap for a minute. There are some husbands that would rather go to the bar and not come home. Not every man who loves to go to the bar and won't come home comes for this reason. But there are some men who don't want to come home. They may not even go to the bar. They may go to a prayer meeting. But the reason that they don't want to come home is because they come home to this. Fix that. Fix that. It does not refresh. It drains. Ladies, understand something. God has given you a tremendous ministry in your home. And in so many ways, you are like the thermostat of your home. More than your husband is. You need to look at your ministry in your home this way, ladies. When your children and your husband come home, they will either be refreshed by you or they will be drained by you. And they are either looking forward to coming in the door or they wish they could work for another two hours. The choice is yours. Mrs. Contention. She's the kind of person that drains. Mr. Leach. Talks about him a lot in the book of Proverbs. For time, I don't got time to develop that one. Mr. Angry. Tells in the book of Proverbs, better a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting and strife. Here's the kind of person that refreshes. It's not the person that has it all together. It's not that person. Why? Because nobody has it all together. Nobody does. And everybody has bad days. Ladies, I know you got bad days. I was picking on you. I'm sorry. I know you got bad days. And I know some days the kids are terrible and there's toys everywhere and life is a mess and it's so hard. The kind of person that refreshes is not the kind of person that has everything all together. That is not the person in the scripture that refreshes. It's not the person with the perfect life. Why? Because nobody has a perfect life. It's not the person who doesn't have to deal with pain and loss. I talk to some people who have borne unbelievable pain and misery and grief. And when I talk with them, they refresh my soul. And I talk to some people that have like stubbed their toe. And you'd think that the world came to an end. The kind of person that refreshes. It is the person who has allowed Jesus to be the Lord over their life and they are filled with his spirit. That is the person who I want to spend time with. That is the person who refreshes my soul. Think of Johnny Erickson Tata. You know who she is. 16 years old, living in rebellion to the Lord, dives off into the bay, I think there in the Chesapeake, snaps her neck, can't move except from like here down. She learns to paint, 
Yeah, I know you've seen her pictures, paint with a brush in her mouth, in a wheelchair, sings to the glory of God. During those days in the hospital that were so dark when she was coming to a place of repentance, she wanted to kill herself. But how do you kill yourself when you can't even move except from here up? How do you do that? She wanted to die. And yet in those dark days, she came to a place of repentance and trust and a placing of Jesus as Lord over her life and her circumstances. And now she has been a source of tremendous blessing and refreshment to God's people. It's all in perspective. Proverbs 25, 13 says, To those who send him, a reliable messenger is like the coolness of snow on a harvest day. He refreshes the life of his master. A reliable messenger. Won't take time to develop that one. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about being refreshed by the church. In 2 Corinthians 7, the same thing. He talks about how Titus was refreshed in the church at Corinth. We already talked about that. Book of Philemon. Philemon is a a very wealthy landowner in the church at Colossae. Paul writes a letter to him. He says, I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Through you, they've been refreshed. The ultimate source of our refreshment. I love these verses in Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Jehovah God, the everlasting God. He is the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint. He never gets weary. There is no limit to what he knows, to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary. He strengthens the powerless. Young men, youths may faint and grow weary. Young men may stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will what? Be refreshed. They will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The other day, I pulled up to check where our cattle were. And as I pulled up, there was a bunch of magpies just kind of running around, doing their thing, you know, just flittering here and there. It's like, what's going on? Get out of the truck, just under the lee of the hill. Huge golden eagle. And when we walked over, he just went, one, and he was airborne. Amazing. And he just, I mean, huge eagle. And almost like looking at him, the, the size and the weight, and yet in almost like an effortless Move. And there he was. Mount up with wings as eagles. Jesus says to us these words. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. 
I will refresh you. Take my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul. Jesus invites you, he invites me, come. But if I am going to be a follower of Jesus, and I am going to be like Jesus, then people should be able to come to me and find rest. Three years after writing these things, Paul shows up in Rome. He's been in the shipwreck and all these things, and it tells us in verse 15, the believers from there heard the news. They came to meet us. As far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns. Paul doesn't know what's coming. He's going into Rome. The church there hears that he is coming. They come to meet him. To refresh him. He thanks God and he takes courage. The forum of Appius and three taverns are not like, you know, just right down the road. We're talking these people, these believers, are inconvenienced enough to go to see Paul to meet him 35 miles from his destination. When Paul writes these words to the church at Rome, he is praying and they are praying that when he comes, he will come in the will of God and they will refresh him and he will meet them with joy. And that's exactly what it is. So how about us? Am I the kind of person that when people come to meet me or talk to me, I charge their batteries, I fill them spiritually, or do I just drain people? Do people just dread seeing me? As we close, I hope you'll ask yourself that question. Lord, as we leave this chapter and we move into the last chapter of this book, I pray that you would help us to simply take stock of ourselves, to ask ourselves some questions, to think about our character, to think about how sometimes we allow circumstances and difficulty to get over the top of us and we grow weary and faint and we let that affect the way we relate with others. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would recharge our batteries today so that we would be refreshed. Lord, that we may wait upon you in a way that we mount up with wings as eagles. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.